the book that we're studying today, which is the book of Lamentations. Uh, Lamentations to lament. Uh, It is a lamenting is crying. This was written by the prophet Jeremiah, and he was he was a big crybaby. He was he's the mourning uh, prophet, the crying prophet. Um, It is yeah, it's kind of a sad book. It's the book of boo-hoo. It's, it's the tale of tears. It's the wailing wall of the whole Bible. And let me read. Is anybody like, when you get a book, do you skip to the end? I just like, I, how many people just like to get to the point, right? You want to skip all the fluff, and you just you want to get to the point. And when you want to get to the point, what do you guys do? You go to the back of the book. So let's go to the back of the book of Lamentations. It's right after the book of Jeremiah. And we're going to read the end of the book. Chapter 5. We'll start at verse 19. You, O Lord, reign forever. Your throne endures from generation to generation. Why do you always forget us? Why do you forsake us so long? Restore us to yourself, O Lord, that that we may return. Renew our days as of old, unless you have utterly rejected us and are angry with us beyond measure. The end. Isn't that depressing? Like, this is, the, is this the point of the book? Well, i got some really good news to you. This is Jewish literature, and this is not the point of the book of Lamentations. The point of the book is actually in the very middle and not the end. Isn't that cool? I'll explain it in a second. But let's go ahead and open up in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much. We have a lot to be thankful for. We really, really do. And in this thankful season, God, I pray that you will just adjust our hearts that you will give us the ability to inspect ourselves, to look closely and deeply inside of ourselves and find those things that we should be thankful for. Father, right now, I pray that you give us the ability to mourn well, to, to know how to cry. But God, I pray right now that, you just, that we won't be crybabies, <laughs> that we just won't come up with excuses, that we won't live in a constant state of mourning. I just pray that you just make us healthy in this season, Lord Jesus. In your name, amen. All right. So, yeah, this is the, this is the book of crying. Now, the reason why um, the, the main point of the book is in the middle is because this is, a, this is actually a poem. It's a very intricate, detailed pro- poem, but we completely lose it because it's been translated from Hebrew into English. Uh, but there's five chapters. And chapter 1 and chapter 2, they are set up in an acrostic. You know what an acrostic is? So it's, it's it, you, you did it in elementary school. So, uh, I don't know, Granite Creek Community Church. So if you wrote it down, granite is great. Uh, yeah, so, so Granite Creek Community Church, the G is, granite is great. Uh, R, really righteous. So, so you got to get to the point, right? So this is how uh, chapter 1 and chapter 2 are set up in the Hebrew. So it starts off with an A, and then it goes off, and, it, and it tells, uh, he tells us how miserable he is. 
And then it goes B, and he says, boo-hoo, I'm really, I'm really in a bad shape. And so that's how, the, that's how the book is set up. And it is a chiastic form, meaning that all the literature goes from the outside to the inside. Um, uh, what would be a good example? Um, uh, Kennedy's speech. What was that? Uh, what was Kennedy's speech? Ask not what your country can do for you. Ask what you can do for your country. So the, the main point is in the middle of the statement. And so the whole book of Lamentations is like this. There is exactly 22 verses in chapter 1 and chapter 2. And there's exactly 22 verses in chapter 4 and chapter 5. So this is it's very detailed. And, and the crescendo, the main idea, guess where it's at? It's, at. it's in chapter 3. And it doesn't have 22 verses. It has three sets of 22. And again, you really can't see it because it's not written in Hebrew. But in chapter 3, in the big middle of it, there are three sets of 22 verses. What's 22 times 3? 66. How many books are there in the Bible? Is, that's an interesting coincidence, isn't it? So that's kind of what we're going on, and that's what's interesting about it. All right, so why is Jeremiah so sad? Why, why is he crying all the time? Why is this book so depressing? Well, you would be too. Like, I just called him a big crybaby, but in reality, if you had to experience what Jeremiah had to go through, you would be crying too. You would end your prayers just like he did. Have you completely, are you so angry with me that you have completely forgotten me and have you completely abandoned me? So this is, this is the heart. And his external experience is completely wrecking him right now. How many people, well, Maybe, how many people are kind of, you don't have to raise your hand. You can if you want. But how many people are like in a rough season of your life? where it's just kind of difficult. And, but you've, come, you've came off of a good season, right? Remember the good old days? Uh, they probably weren't all that good. But you remember the good old days when everything just seemed to, to come into place, where you had money and you had the connections and everything was really good. I don't know, maybe it was the 80s. Was the 80s all that good? I don't know. <laughs> but you, you see what I'm saying, right? Well, this was Jeremiah's experience. Uh, remember when we talked about good King Hezekiah and King, uh, Second Kings and Second Chronicles? Good King Hezekiah was a great reformer in the southern kingdom of Judah. He tore down all the, all the shrines. He got people back into corporate worship. He made sure that idolatry was not, not practiced. He's the one that had to face off the evil Assyrians. Remember when we talked about the evil Assyrians and how brutal they were, how they, how they instituted uh, terror warfare, and they just, they just tortured everybody. It was awful. Well, Hezekiah stood up to the king of Assyria, Sennacherib, and he won. And they woke up the next day, and all the Assyrians were dead because God sent his death angel, and he just wiped them all out. It was an incredible thing. Hezekiah actually gets sick. Have any, oh, don't raise your hand, but have you ever had to deal with a, a, an illness that's going to kill you? Is this, 
takes you into a really dark place when you're so sick that you're going to die. I mean, one of our big prayer requests is cancer. Every Sunday, every Tuesday, we're praying about cancer. It's just, it's just the way that our world is right now. And cancer didn't come from God. Hezekiah had this sickness, and he was going to die. And what did he do? He called out to God. He says, God, heal me. He petitioned God. He had this tenacious spirit that wasn't going to accept his circumstances, and God healed him. And because he was sick, his allies, this is important, his allies came to visit, and they gave him a gift card and a balloon basket. Yeah. And guess who his allies were? The Babylonians. The Babylonians, because they were fighting the Assyrians. So these Babylonian emissaries come, and they check on good King Hezekiah. And how many people like to show off your stuff? You have somebody come over to your house, and you, uh, I do this. I like to show off my stuff. And you, like, you show them your coin collection, or you show them your Hummel collection, or your precious moments collection, right? <laughs> you, just, you just can't help yourself. You open up the garage and you know, show your buddy your new boat. This is what Hezekiah did. He brought in the Babylonians, took them into his palace, he took them into the temple, he even took them into the vault, and he showed these guys how much gold he really had. And guess what? They took notes. They took detailed notes. And in 100 years later, they sacked Jerusalem, and they knew exactly where all the money was at. And they took it all, because Hezekiah blew it. Hezekiah had a son, and uh, I need my water. I'm drying up here. Uh-oh, where'd it go? There we go. Thank you. All right. That's okay. Cooties. Um, okay, so Hezekiah had a son, Manasseh. Manasseh was the worst king in southern Judah. The, the reason why he was so bad, he did two things that were really, really bad. One, he brought in um, the foreign gods actually into the temple. He set up their idols in the temple, and this was really bad. I uh, mean, God, does this really take God off? How would you like it if, like, some Sunday you show up to church, and I got a big giant Buddha here, Right? How would that make you feel? I don't know. Some people in Claremont would be like, hey, that's cool. We're all inclusive. I like it. it, Oh, should I do it? Say, no, Josh, don't do it. Oh, I got to do it. (laughs) Probably not. Probably you shouldn't do it. Okay. All right. I won't do it. You can ask me later. Um, But so he brings in, he brings in, and and it's Asherah. Asherah, or uh, Ishtar, it's it's a female fertility goddess. Uh, She was a fox. We actually have pictures of her. She's a really good-looking lady. She's the forerunner of Aphrodite, all right? So how would you like it if I brought in this big, you know, gorgeous Aphrodite statue? And I say, we're going to, I think it was cool that that John says, you know, let's just pretend Jesus is right here, because he is. That's actually how I was trained to preach. The, the, the job of a, of a minister is to highlight where Jesus is at in the room, and he's right here. So we don't worship idols, but we worship Jesus. 
uh, actually our, our tendency and our nature is to actually worship material objects. We can't help ourselves. Uh, Jews, to this day, have a problem with idolatry. The organization, Orthodox Judaism, does not. Like, they don't, they, they don't have this issue, and I'll explain it in a second. Uh, but backsliding Jews, um, they're, they're, they're boo Jews. You ever heard of a boo Jew? It's a Buddhist Jew, and there's lots of them. If you go hang out in Los Angeles for a little bit, it is the popular thing. Boo Jews. It's because Jews like statues. And so backsliding, you know, good little Jewish boys and Jewish girls, they ought, their hearts automatically default into idolatry, and they like their little statues, and they think that it's cool and inclusive, and, and, and so they, they, they worship Buddha. And they try to be good Jews, because how can you not be a Jew if it's in your blood? It's just, anyway. All right, so that's, that's the situation. Um, And then after Manasseh, we have good King Josiah. He was the great reformer. He came in and he burned all of dad's idols, completely burned them out of the temple. Uh, he, he, he instituted worship again. He instituted Sabbath rest. He instituted uh, the festivals back in to their culture. And he found the Bible. They lost their Bible. How many people have lost your Bible? It's on your bookshelf, and it's dusty. And they lost their Bible in the temple. That's how far away they've got away from God because they lost the scriptures. They lost the Torah. They, didn't, you know, they misplaced their Ten Commandments. And Josiah found it, and he's, he's reading it. He's ripping his clothes because he's like, oh, my gosh, like how we have gotten so far away from God's love. This is why we're so screwed up. This is the problem because we've got God's word and we've got his law and we have his teachings. We have his love and we've just drifted so far. No wonder we're a mess. And Josiah was good friends with our crying prophet, Jeremiah. They were contemporaries. They were, they were working together. And so Josiah was successful. There was like a little mini revival going on. It was exciting, at least for a, a priest and a prophet. If you were on the right side of the fence, this was a really good time to be in because everything is going Jeremiah's way. You have a good godly king that loves the Lord, that has found the Bible, that has gotten rid of idolatry, that hasn't done what his father did, sacrificing his own children so he could be successful in business or war. This is a really good season to be in. And, uh, Josiah blows it. He decides he wants to fight a, a pharaoh and ends up dying. And then finally, the, we have been talking about this forever. Uh, the prophets have been prophesying about this forever, that someday that God's judgment is going to come. Like, he, like enough is enough. There's only so many times when you can bow your knee to a false god. There's only so many times you can sacrifice your own children, and he's going to be okay with it. There's only so many times where you can institute uh, temple prostitution and be okay with it. There's only so many times where you can oppress the poor and be okay with it. And so finally, the day of judgment has come. The shoe has fallen. Wait, that's not it. 
What's the? The other shoe has dropped. Thank you, Joe. It is the final straw that has broke the camel's back. Because after Josiah, we have four bad kings, and just can't do it anymore. Like, this idolatry is so embedded in them that they can't get it out of their system. No matter times that, 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 that restoration comes in, they can't get it out of their system. And Jeremiah is witnessing God's judgment because God uses the Babylonians as his instrument for correction. And it's, it's awful. Because Jeremiah, when he's writing Lamentation, he is sitting on an ash heap, on rubble, and he's just witnessed. It took the Babylonians two years to break the city walls. So their strategy was literally to starve them to death. And he did. Nebuchadnezzar starved them all to death. And so they went from prosperity to utter loss. They lost everything. Could you imagine? I mean, some of us are sitting in the room, and maybe we feel like we have lost everything. Just pinch your side right here. Just do this. You haven't lost everything, folks. You've got, you haven't lost everything. Now, once you start starving to death, then, maybe then, you can start whining like Jeremiah did. And then maybe you can start calling, maybe then you can, you can have this harsh language towards God uh, once you do this and there's nothing to grab. Once you see your kids starve. So Jeremiah records kids starving to death. What? God's judgment? I don't get this. A um, couple of little things before we get into the heart of it. Chapter 1, verse 9. Her is referring to Jerusalem. Her filthiness clung to her skirts and she did not consider her future. Her fall was astounding. There was no one to comfort her. Verse 20. See, O Lord, how distressed I am. I am in torment within my heart and in my heart I am disturbed, for I have been most rebellious. So Jeremiah is looking into his own heart. He's looking into the very core of who he is, his spirit. Sometimes when we're on the very bottom, that's the only time when we can really see where our spirit's at. And he says, oh man, I am a, I have, I've got problems. I'm a wreck. I'm not whole. All right, let's get into the good part. Does that sound all right? Let's go to chapter 3. Again, three sets of 22 verses. Jeremiah starts off, says, uh, verse 1, 
I am the man who has seen affliction. By the rod of his wrath, he has driven me away, and he has made me to walk in darkness rather than light. And let's go ahead and, well, verse 13. He has pierced my heart with arrows from his quiver. I'll go up to verse 10. Like a bear lying in wait, like a lion hiding, he dragged me from the path and he mangled me. Isn't that interesting? Well, just, just let it sit there for a second. Okay, down to verse 17. I have been deprived of peace. I have forgotten what prosperity is. So I say, my splendor is gone, and all that I had hoped for from the Lord. I remember my affliction and my wandering, the bitterness and the gall. I well remember them and my soul is downcast within me. It's his emotions. He's saying, I'm an emotional basket case right now. Yet I call this to mind, and therefore I have hope. This is important. This is the, whole, this is the hinge of the whole book. This right here is the ending of the book. So if you're looking for the main point, this is it right here. Uh, my version says, yet I will call this to mind. Your, your version might say, but, right? Let me help you put this into perspective. All of, all of the circumstances are bad. Like they are bad. They can't get worse. God's judgment has finally come. It seems like he's completely abandoned us. The prayers are falling short. Have you ever prayed and God didn't hear you? Have you ever... Have you ever heard God be silent? I have. I mean, when God goes silent, it is the most painful. If you're, if you're a brother and sister in the Lord, if you're a child of God, and God goes silent, it is the most painful thing that you could possibly experience. Because you, you take it as if, as if God doesn't love you anymore. But it's not true. He does. So Jeremiah's circumstances are so bad, he records them. He records his feelings. He records his emotions. I'm an emotional basket case. I'm starving to death. I'm trying to figure out the problem of good and evil right now. But, yet, I call this to mind. And therefore, I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. For his compassions never fail. They are new every morning, and great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion, therefore I will wait for him. It's the point of the whole book right here. It is in the yet. It is in the but. It is in, wait a minute. Wait. My experiences don't dictate what God's promises are. These are God's promises. We are not consumed. His love never fails. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Okay, you ready for this? The Lord is my portion. Some of your Bibles might say, the Lord is my inheritance. 
the really loose translations say, the Lord is everything to me. Meaning that when, when, God, when the Lord is your portion, when he is, when he is your inheritance, that means you don't need idols. That means you don't need money. That means you don't need a roof over your head. That, that means you don't need to be able to do this. Squeeze here and find something. So when everything has been taken away from you, can you say that? Can you say the Lord is my portion, the Lord is my inheritance? Despite my circumstances, Lord is good. He's faithful. I am his, and he is mine. That, that's the message of this, this book. And in, in the midst of our crying and of our sorrow and of our despair and of our loss, does that infect us, make us bitter, make us resentful? Or are we able to say, Lord is faithful. He is, he's new every morning. You see, we have to we have to develop a, a discipline. Sometimes we get people requesting discipleship. How many people want to be discipled? Yeah. Discipleship will cost you. Discipleship requires commitment. It requires consistency. And it requires you to have this tenacious spirit with inside of you. It requires you to be uh, wanting to be transformed, laying down your life, saying, I give you my will. Discipleship, true discipleship, I believe, requires a, a, the, the desire to live in a transformed mind, is to say, despite my circumstances, but yet I will. And discipleship's costly. Um, Patricia Lynn, we're on Wednesday nights in January, January, I think it's January 4th, on Wednesday nights we're starting a discipleship class, and it's called Game Changers. And you're only going to get the benefit out of it if you are consistent in it. It's 21 weeks, right, Patricia? 21 weeks. That's the cost of discipleship at times. There has to be a dedication to the Lord. There has to be like, you know, like if you really want to be transformed, you've got to do the time. You've got to sign up for the program, and you have to be consistent, unwavering, not, not, not giving up. Like your will has to be bent on the Lord. He is not going to bend your will. You have to bend your will. You have to say, but I choose to align myself with God. But I choose to dedicate myself and my time and my money and my heart and my family to the Lord. It's going to cost you. We all know that, re that, that revival is costly. But 
uh, I, I want to encourage you, like in this season that you're at, do you, do you need to, like, you know what, my circumstances are just way above my abilities to fix them? This is, the, this, this is the deal God makes. God says you have to do everything within your power to change your circumstances. And if you are aligned to me and my will, if you humble yourself, if you become a disciple, if you're willing to, to be renewed by the transforming of your mind, if you hold captive every thought, if you are willing to let me come in and destroy strongholds, then, then you will be that powerful new creation. So some of us, it might be 21 weeks. You know what it was for the Jews? It was 70 years. Babylon wasn't torture. Babylon was discipleship. Because they, had, they, were, they were involved in a system, in a vicious cycle of idolatry, restoration. Idolatry, uh, revival, you know, that it just kept on going over and over and over again, sometimes almost like every other king. It was maddening. It was, it was a vicious cycle. How many people feel like you're like in a, in a vicious cycle of sin? Like you have a season where you're not drinking, but then you blow it. It's okay if you blow it because God's going to give you the victory to overcome it. You can't overcome it within your own will and your own power and your own might. That's why you keep on falling and going back to it. That's why you keep on returning to your own vomit and eating it. You can't help yourself. It's just your nature. But your nature has to be broken. Here's the point of Lamentations. The Babylonians, their once allies, haul them off into slavery. In Egypt, they were born into slavery. Now they're being hauled off into slavery by God. But it is his discipleship program, 70 years. And when they come back, guess what? They never introduce an idol back into the temple. The kings never sacrifice their children to Moloch. There are no more temple prostitutes to Ishtar and Asherah anymore. It was stripped out of them. Remember the language that we, that, that we read that, that the Lord is like a bear and a lion and he's, he's mauling me? Like some of us need to be mauled by the Lord. C.S. Lewis wrote about it in The Horse and His Boy where there was this naughty, this girl, naughty, naughty's like my favorite word right now. There was this little girl that was not behaving well and she, she, she was harboring bitterness, unforgiveness, anger, and she's running from the Lord, and then she's in this field. And finally, this lion, Aslan, the good king lion, God, catches her and just claws her skin right off because that was that, that's what was infecting her. And it hurt so bad, yet it felt so good. It's like peeling off a scab. How many people like to peel their scabs off? I, that's just me. I don't know. But you get the point, right? Sometimes when you need to get better, it hurts. God broke Israel from idolatry, and it never happened again, with the exception of the Bujus in West Los Angeles. <laughs> but the Orthodox Jews don't worship idols anymore. It broke them of it. I have a friend, I talked to her this week, 
She's an alcoholic. She was an alcoholic. Lifestyle for years. Like, just fall down, drunk, party girl, craziness. And it didn't stop there because she was able to, to function as an alcoholic in everyday life. So she showed up to work and actually did a good job drunk. She learned how to, how to deal with it, how to cope. And she was, a, she was a successful drunk. And so when she wanted to party harder, she just drank more. Okay, but we all know the story, right? Come on. It doesn't, we don't need a whole lot of common sense here. We all know the story. Eventually, that lifestyle catches up. It destroys relationships. It destroys your body. It can get you killed. It gets you arrested. She wound up in AA. And while in AA, she finds God. So she's in program. She's learning the steps. She's getting the tools to make herself better. But it wasn't until she found God and found Jesus that she was broken from the spirit of alcoholism. So, you know, the process is, you know, you go to AA, you find a higher power. But she says, you know what, I need more than the higher power. I need a relationship. And it was in that relationship that she found in Jesus that she was broken of the addiction. All right, this is the amazing thing. And this is what maybe you need to get to in your life. She doesn't crave alcohol anymore. Ever. She doesn't even go to meetings anymore. She doesn't go to AA meetings because... She doesn't want to identify as an alcoholic anymore because she's a new creation. It's not a part of who she is, and this is what's going on with, with the Jews. God broke them of idolatry. It took them seven years. It took my friend 15 years to be broken of alcoholism. I don't know what's, what, what's it going to take in your life. How long is it going to take? Discipleship is costly. True transformation takes time. Wait. One more time. I well remember them. My soul is downcast within me. Boo-hoo. My, my emotions are a wreck, right? Okay, when this happens, because it will happen, you're going to get depressed. You're going to get discouraged. You're going to feel lost and lonely. And in that moment, you have to choose. You have to choose what your soul will do. You have to say, okay, God, I am, I am sad, I am lonely, I'm hurting, I'm depressed. And then you have to say, but, right? You have to say, but. I call this to mind. Where is it? I remember in my mind, and therefore I have hope, because of the Lord's great love we are not consumed by idols, by alcohol, by addictions, by failure, by bankruptcy, by conditions of life, by circumstances. They don't rule me inside. They are only external. 
are not consumed, for his compassion never fails despite my circumstances. God is always compassionate. They are new every morning. Um, growth only happens in change. How many people don't like change? Oh, Pastor Josh, you changed the living nativity. My life is falling apart. Right? No, it's, it's time for a change. Maybe it's a time for a change in your life. Oh, gosh. Pastor Josh, you can't stop. You tell Pastor John to keep on singing that song. No, it's time for a change. <laughs> Pastor John sung the anointing off that song 10 years ago. It's time for a change. It's because God is doing a new thing. What new thing is God doing in your life? What is it? It's new every morning, and great is your faithfulness. And I say to myself, God is all that I need. I don't need the stuff. I don't need the idols. I don't need the toys. I don't need the money. God is all I need. He's my portion. Therefore, I will wait for him. Good stuff, huh? All right, let's get the band and the ushers to come on up to the front. Uh, if you're really serious about discipleship, everybody has their own definition of what discipleship means. Some, means, some people think that it means uh, memorizing scripture, which is probably a big part of it. Some people think that discipleship means like one-on-one -on -one mentoring. Some people think that discipleship means, um, you know, really practicing your spiritual gifts. I, I believe for us in this season, discipleship means being transformed by the renewing of the mind. And I have seen more fruit out of the Game Changers ministry than anything that we've done in a long time. So if you're serious about discipleship, talk to Patricia and uh, she'll get you signed up. And it's going to be a long, hard haul, but I've seen the fruit and I want to see it in you too. Uh, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this season that we are in in our life. Whether it is good or bad, you are our portion. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you give us hope, that you are faithful, and that you are new every morning. So for some of us, God, I pray that you get us out of the old and get us into the new. I pray that we despite our circumstances, that we will be not only idealistic Christians, but we will be practical Christians, that we will live in faith, we won't accept our circumstances, that we will know that, that we can align ourselves to your promises and be that all that we can be in your name, Lord Jesus. Give us victory in this new season, God. We pray this in your name. Amen.